Welcome to the Red Room Podcast. I am your host, Scott Ryan. And I'm Josh Minton. And we are here to talk about Severance, where we'll have a special guest of John Thorne coming on. But in case you haven't seen Severance, you don't have to stop listening to us because you haven't seen Severance. We're going to talk a little bit and stop listening to us because of what we say. Right. Yeah. We're, our job is to convince you to watch Severance. And then we'll get into spoilers and stuff when we have John on. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. So if you got it to watch Ted Lasso, and then you're like, that's all they have is Ted Lasso. You're incorrect. Mm-hmm. They have Ted Lasso and Severance. And do you watch anything else on There's Apple There's a Plus? ton of great stuff on Apple TV+. Plus. Slow Horses is, is actually really good. There's a uh, Samuel L. Jackson show. You've never seen him in a TV show. Mythic Quest, I think, is one of the funniest shows that's come out over the last couple of years. Um, ton, it's a good value to invest in Apple TV+. Plus. But I would say the best show they've had is Severance, and we will be talking about it. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about before we had John was just how much Severance and the Red Room really sort of go together and how back in the day we started the Red Room 11, 12 years ago, something like that. And, you know, back then you didn't have to sign your vaccination card that you had a podcast. Now you do. You have to get, you know, if you don't have a podcast, you can't get the booster. And Red Room and Severance would have gone together. And I feel like we let the world down, and by the world I mean the eight people who listen to us, <laughs> by not covering severance the whole time. You know, is probably Apple, do they have a official severance podcast? I haven't seen it, but it would not surprise me if they did. I mean, that's the thing. The new Sex in the City has one. Gilded Age has one. And like all these corporations are taking over for fans who are walking in and loving something and then want to talk about it and create something. And I, I don't know. I don't like it. Well, you know, there's a reason that David Lynch doesn't have his own podcast. <laughs> it's like there, there's a, a couple of ways to approach it. And it is interesting that corporations have essentially bought into, no, we want to own the official narrative of the contextual conversation around this show. We want to define what went into it. We don't want Scott and Josh over here defining that. For, but we're still going to do it because we're audacious like that. No one would discover the Gilded Age from that podcast because you would only, it's the other way around. And I like to think that we were in front of Downton Abbey mm-hmm. and I we feel were like pushing it. it. I think of our good friend Harold who would say, hey, I didn't know about that show. Right. And you told me about it. And that was the organicness, and that's what we should have been doing with Severance. We probably should have done a weekly show, and now the whole first season is done. But what, to you, what is it about Severance that's different than another show that would lend itself to a fan-based podcast? Well, first, there's a simplicity to the concept of Severance. It's not difficult to understand what's happening in there. But then there's a depth beneath that. And it depends on how far you want to let your brain go into that. You know what I mean? You can look and see what's on the screen and and, and be happy with what you're seeing. There's a ton of drama. There's a lot of intensity. But the, the darker concepts underneath it around work and how we separate ourselves and those elements, I think, are really for... Uh, who all call the Twin Peaks fans, the, the right. people who stick around for the Bob, <laughs> right? This is a quick explanation of what Severance is. I personally would compare the show to Lost, mm-hmm. even though it's not the plot based. It's not like Lost, but the feeling of Lost, where every episode gives you a bigger mystery and you want to know what's the black smoke monster, who are the others, right. how did these, why did this plane crash? That's what Severance has. They have their own mysteries. Basically, you go to work and you, when you go up the elevator, a chip in your brain turns you off and then your work self comes to life. And so when you're at work, you have no personal issues. All you do is work because that's what you do. And when I heard that idea, I was like, oh, this is right in my wheelhouse because corporations don't want us to have a life. Right. They want us to give that up and only work and like, oh, really? Are you, your dad died? Are you not going to work today? Yeah. The most annoying thing 
to a corporation about their workers is that they have to go home. Right. Yeah, or and and that they have to pay you, or that you have a family that they have to pay insurance up. Yeah, those dramas, all those things. You know, so this, but that isn't really what the show is about. Like that's the hook. But then it does become much deeper, and we never want to spoil something. So this little preamble here was just for us to sort of say, "Hey, watch Severance. It's over now. There are nine episodes, and they've played." So you could get Apple TV for the one week uh, yep. thing and binge it. We waited week to week to be clear because that's not how it was released. Yeah, I actually watched the first one the first week because yep. of Patricia Arquette. She's the female star of the show and I love Patricia Arquette. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this because she's in it. Well, and Adam Scott. I mean, it's got it's got really good actors in it. John Turturro and Christopher Walken. Oh, right. And right. Christopher Walken in a TV show, like a, or a serial yeah. drama. That's that's amazing. To Before we leave your comparison with Lost, I will say, you know, Lost had how many episodes in the first season? Right. 23. They, in this show, tell it's 45 minutes on average for each episode. So in nine episodes of 45 minutes, they tell a fully compelling, you know, narrative arc of multiple characters and the time that you'll invest in watching this show will pay off immensely more than even the first season of Lost. (laughs) I did not consider that. What is better, the first season of Lost or the first season of Severance? That is very interesting. I would say that the pilot of Lost is better than the pilot Mm -hmm. of Severance. But I would say the season finale of Severance is better than the season finale of Lost. Yes, I 100% agree. Because I feel like they kind of were on a different trajectory. It's not that Lost got worse the first season. It took longer for the concept of Lost to expand beyond just the plane crash. Right? I mean, like, you knew something was kind of going on, and they they had to tell the the longer story and flashback narratives that were essentially full-length episodes. I want to say that you didn't really understand what was going on with Lost until about halfway through the season. That's a lot of time to invest. Here, you knew what the concept was by the end of the pilot, and then the characters started to develop, you know, very fast, I would say. Yeah, so our suggestion is watch Severance, uh, then come back. And listen to our discussion with John Thorne, who we'll bring on now, and then we will spoil the hell out of the show. And a quick plug for the Blue Rose magazine. We have a new issue out right now, issue 16. It's about the fifth anniversary of Twin Peaks The Return. And I have a new book out, Firewalk With Me, Your Lord Disappeared. If you go to bluerosemag.com, you can get the color version, which I only have 100 left. Or you can get the black and white version for the rest of your lives, but the color version's real good. Uh, if you have the means and you love Twin Peaks, you gotta have the color version on your It shelf. really is beautiful. But, you know, we live in a time and age where things come and they go, and this will come and it will go. You can find me on Twitter. I'm currently writing a novel, about to work on a screenplay, putting music out, writing essays. I had a really interesting essay where I compared and contrasted Twin Peaks and Northern Exposure. I've been doing a lot of music writing of all things. So it's something I never really focused on in the past. But lately, you know, these records are just coming to me and inspiring me in cool ways. It's a good time to be a lover of art because there sure isn't a whole lot of other things to love about the art. (laughs) (laughs) So we will bring on John Thorne and have our discussion about Severance Season 1. Excellent. We are ready to talk about severance and really get into it, but we have a special guest we'd like to introduce. Always welcome in the Red Room, Mr. John Thorne. How are you, sir? I am doing great. It is good to talk to both you and Scott at the same time. How nice is that? Yeah, and I guess one could say all your friends are here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, yeah, I guess you're probably right about it. At least you're smartest. At least you're smartest. (laughs) <laughs> I realized I, that wasn't meant to be a put down. That's what they say nope. in the red room in episode no, forty nine. Just for I know John gets that reference. <laughs> I well, did. People at home who might think, "Oh my God, did he just say John only has two friends?" No, that's a, a line from Twin Peaks. Well, this, this is, we're nerdy. I know that millions of people are listening, and all of them <laughs> are my friends. There you go. When you can turn a Twin Peaks line into a pun, and then it sounds like an insult, that's master level Twin Peaks. Right. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, John, if you don't mind, how about uh, you give us a very, very brief 
overview on the mechanics of what the show is at the highest level. We've already done a kind of non-spoiler introduction, but let's let's really start to get into the details here, if you don't mind. Well, you're talking to John's Audi, so I don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I did. I did before we got on to this recording, and then suddenly I stopped. Well, Severance is, you guys probably already covered the fact that it's a television series that's on Apple Plus TV. The first season has aired. The premise of the show initially, basically throughout the season, is that there is this company called Lumon Industries, and there are people who work at this company who can choose if they want to go through a procedure called severance. And when they do that, so they have this sort of chip installed inside their brain so that when they come into work and they get in the elevator, all their memories of their home life is are removed completely. So they have uh, no idea of who they are outside of work. And so all they do when they get there is they know the people that they work with and that they have some idea, some vague sense really of what their job is. Essentially, it's sort of a computer data type work and they don't really even have a sense necessarily of the bigger picture of what their job is. They work, I guess, like a nine to five type of job with their coworkers. And then when they leave work, they get back in the elevator and all their memories of their outside life return, but their knowledge and memories of their work life completely disappear. So their outer self, known as an Audi in the show, does not know anything about what they do at work, has no memory or awareness of their coworkers. Let me interrupt you yeah. because yeah. you said something that I find interesting already. You <laughs> said some of the workers can choose. Do we know that that's the truth? Are are we certain that there are workers there that do not have to go through severance? I think that's true. Now, I'm not talking about Patricia Arquette. I'm talking about workers, not management, but workers. I don't know. It was implied and maybe there was some dialogue. Having only seen the series once, so you know, unlike when we talk about Twin Peaks, I right. can't remember well, things course, yeah. pretty explicitly. I've only seen the series. I feel like they, they do say that it's a voluntary program. But, but who says that? So I, don't I, I know thought that there I was believe a, that. I don't well, I mean okay. who, why do you guys think that? Like I, rec- I don't I rec- remember. I recall there was some discussion about the severed floor or the severed section of Lumon, implying that there were non-severed sections of the company. I don't know for sure. Scott, mm-hmm. you, you may be right, but I, I do seem to recall that at least early on, there was this implication anyway, that there were there were severed and non-severed workers there. That, that may be something, in fact, it may be there in the show, but it's something that they've actually kind of moved away from. And, and you're right, isn't true, but I think they did imply it. Well, see, I think while someone in the press may have implied it, I no, think it was in, in the practice. Show. Yeah, I think it was in the show. Well, no, I'm saying to the outside world, not the press uh, in our world. In this, in I'm talking about in the series. This is just a guess on my part. There is no one who works there that's a worker. Again, I'm not talking about the upper management that is not severed. That that would be my statement, which I thought that was interesting when he said that because I because we we haven't seen other people like when they walk around that building. Is empty. Yeah, I don't know, John. I'm with you. I kind of always assumed that it was a voluntary program. And I do think that that was hinted at in the pilot. Well, I want to say it is voluntary. But it could be wrong. But you could not be, you wouldn't work there if you didn't do it. It's voluntary to work there. Right. Are all the people in the Christopher Walken area, are those people severed? I would assume so. I would assume yeah. they are all I severed. Would assume they would. They, yeah. They're on the severed floor. floor. Don't forget, they're all on the right. same floor, even though there is one department that's separated from the other. You have to walk down this maze of hallways to get to the other department. They've all gone through the elevator, apparently, right. or multiple elevators that get you to this floor. I think you do see um, the main character, Mark, walk into the lobby. And he goes in, he's in the building, he goes to a locker, he puts his uh, personal belongings that would that would be part of his outer self into mm-hmm. a locker. He passes a guard who is on the non, uh, non-severed floor before he enters the elevator where the severance 
process is activated and then he he goes to work and, and in the process of going down the elevator he he forgets his outer self so i assume the guard is not severed because he didn't go down that elevator right. i assume that the other people who were walking around in the lobby and who are maybe taking an elevator up or just working in other offices on that upper floor lobby floor are not severed they didn't go through an elevator and the so, doctor in the episode we just watched at the beginning of the seventh one i think it's uh, something differential jazz the doctor doesn't seem to be severed i mean she's a was an employee right we're really getting into the minutiae yeah i mean we're really jumping but i think it's, it's, it's kind of fun years, well, listeners. It's, a, it's a good first debate, debate, though yeah i mean i'm not i'm not saying any of us are right or wrong i'm just saying as far as a debate within the show I have a theory that there is no one else, that it's those four, and then it's the people in the Christopher Walken department, and that's it. I think you're onto something there because the interesting thing is we rarely see many cars in the parking lot of this giant company, at least, you know, from the establishing shots that we've seen so far. It, It looks like there are not many cars there. There's not many people inside. So that struck me too while I was watching it is how many people really are in this building. And maybe right. it's just exclusive the this, this smaller group that is being probably well, experimented on. And, and so as the story progresses, we see these various characters begin to question what they're doing, where they are, whether or not what is happening outside of work. We follow the main character, Mark. We only see his outer self. And he has various reasons for having gone through this procedure because he's been through a tragedy. His wife was killed in a car accident. He's undergone some trauma and he's decided to escape into severance to get away from it. But he's starting to question whether or not he should have done that. And then, of course, there is some conspiracy storyline that starts to unfold that there are people who are watching him outside of work, and there are people who have escaped severance and have been able to reintegrate themselves, their outer and inner self. So all of that is is plot that is is bubbling around the characters as the story progresses. The elevator that you mentioned, that is a passageway that's not just a philosophical conversion that happens there. It's a technological one and it's a moral one. So that concept within the show operates on all three of those levels simultaneously. And those characters undergo essentially a moral, philosophical, and technological conversion every time they enter the severed floor. And that is fascinating. I've never even thought that concept could be done on TV. Not that we have to get into specifics, but just to set the table. I'm curious if both of you have had a job in real life that you truly hated. Yes. John? Well, I mean, there were jobs I had that I, you know, was like I should be doing something else, which is why I quit. Don't have them. <laughs> <laughs> don't, I don't have one now. When I walked into the building of Time Warner Cable and McGraw-Hill, walking up those steps both times I was on the second floor was horrible I mean just that walk in the morning and just you just feel it suck out of you I don't know a damn thing about the writer of this show but I think he had a job he really hated it's different to hate a job than have your your job actively out there to enslave and try and kill you (laughs) like like, you know that's 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 taking it to a different level i think that's one extreme we can talk about you know hating your job and and that may be some of the impetus for how the show came to be but i think a lot of people have worked at an office and gone in every morning and worked with coworkers and cubicles and it grinds you down a little bit I, i didn't hate it but i didn't always want to be there. I wanted to be outside of work, but had to be there and had to kind of go through the motions of what that work entailed and the various obligations you had to that work. And so that grinds you down a little bit. And I think everyone can relate to that, whether you hate your job or just have one of those kinds of jobs. The British version of the office explored that idea. They were frequently cut away to these mundane things that were happening, people making copies or people standing around a water cooler. And the implication was that it was dull. It was a dull place to be, Mm. even though the show was funny. (laughs) And it's interesting, the timing the show came out in. I'll call that peak COVID. So COVID did something to the workplace that has never happened before. 
the the office building, the large office building like we see in the show, was second only to hospitals in terms of the dread and the danger around dying, literally dying when you walk into these places. And I feel like this show just grabbed that emotion and just put it right into the show. But that is complete coincidence. So I just heard Ben Stiller on a podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade. It's about Saturday Night Live. I don't remember the name of the podcast. But he said that he bought this script six years ago. Wow. And it's taken six years to do it. They were just about to film the pilot when COVID hit and it shut down. I don't think they even filmed a lick. They were just prepping. It shut down and it came back and they filmed during COVID. The concept of the yeah. show was written six that's, years before that's up there with happened. The uh, creator of the show is Dan Erickson. The, the show was somewhat inspired by the movie Brazil, which is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. of all times. And Terry Gilliam. Okay. Brazil is sort of a 1984-ish kind of story, but the main character goes into this sort of bureaucracy, this workplace where he's almost like a government employee. And a lot of the people around him have very tedious work. And he dreams of of being a hero and a fantasy to escape from the tedium of work. That's a part of Brazil. And apparently that was some inspiration for the show. And I think Dan Erickson said that Ben Stiller was what steered it away from some of the craziness of Brazil, because a lot of crazy things that happened and wanted to focus more on the characters and, and well, the emotions. Ben said what drew him to the pilot was that these people had the normal office banter of any office, right. but that they didn't know what they did. So they had nothing to small talk about their personal lives. And he just said he liked the idea that you had office workers who didn't know what their actual job was. And he said that's what drew him in. Just the idea that you would go to work and not be By the end of the season, they still don't know what their job (laughs) was. So, Josh, throw out a topic from Severance that you want us to discuss. Let's talk about the psychology of separating your home life from your work life. I work in tech, so we talked a lot in there about life balance and not work-life balance. There is no work-life balance, they say. It's only life balance. Work is a facet of that. So what happens when human beings remove the element of their productivity from their psychology? Like, what, what does that do to people? And I think that the show does explore that. So, you know, let me ask you, in the job that you hated the most, if you could have separated yourself, would you have done it? Boy, I didn't expect to have to answer that question, which might be stupid. I should have considered, would I have ever severanced myself from it? I don't think I would have because that job was soul crushing for me. And what I used to say, and I think everyone will enjoy this analogy, my job was to stand under a pipe of vomit and the best part of the day was if you could only be vomited on half your head. That's what I used to say when people asked what I did for a living. I said, I stand under a, a thing of nonstop vomit. Customer service. So the only thing that kept me alive was my sense of humor, fooling around with my coworkers, just like they do. That's one do of my podcast. favorite parts. Well, I mean, we don't need to. I mean, I wrote my book, my first yeah. book at there. So that fed and your art. So, I mean, yes. So it was me who kept me through that, which I think is an interesting concept. What do you think, John? I would definitely, absolutely not sever myself because mm-hmm. the outside self was was the motivator to get through the work I was doing. And I will I will tell a story. I'm sure you can relate to this. It's, it's Scott, it sounds like you may have already had a similar story as you mentioned writing your book. I can remember distinct, this was after Twin Peaks had been on TV in 1990, 1991. I was at work and I had had someone who worked in England. We had you know, different parts of the company all over the world. And they really, really came down hard on me for something. I can't remember what it was. It was petty. And it was just something that I was like, why am I putting up with this? And that day I applied to go back to graduate school in television and radio. Mm. And because I was Mm. like, you know what, I'm getting out of this. I'm going to go become a better writer and learn more about television. And that combined with the fact that Twin Peaks had been on, put me on the trajectory for Wrapped in Plastic and then leaving that job. I can remember 
calling Southern Methodist University because they had a TV radio program here in Dallas that day and saying, I'm interested wow. in joining your graduate program. And they were like, we, we'd love to have you. And I got all the information and I went and I did it. And that's why I have I a master's that. degree. Story <laughs> from you, John. Very interesting. Yeah. So do yeah. you consider that person to be one of the most <laughs> important per- people of your life? No. I think he's one of the least important people. In my life. <laughs> but it's just interesting. I mean, that person changed your life. He motivated me in that moment. I think I would have met Craig Miller. I would have done Wrapped in Plastic, whether or not I was going back to school or not. I happened to also feel like, okay, I want to know more about how television is made and it was sort of like a breaking point. It was, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like it was that, oh, I was right. fine until that happened. You know what I mean? It was like sure. the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. Not to get off the hot topic here, no, but is, I think it allows fine. us to to talk about all, all our shared experiences of working in a corporate you know, world and how and why severance appeals to us all because we can relate to these characters. But, you know, the interesting thing is sort of flipping the question around a little bit is, you know, the characters have volunteered. Apparently, the characters have volunteered to go through this procedure. The company has not forced them to. Now, we may learn more after this season. We don't know. But so far, from what we see, the characters, there's something in their outside life that they're unhappy about. The main character, Mark, is certainly unhappy in his outside life, and he's trying to escape that by going to this place where he doesn't have to remember it. The reverse is sort of the case for me, and I think for everyone else, is when you were at work, you wanted to remember your outside life. You didn't want to forget that. Maybe there's there's some people who who do have unfortunate, you know, lives outside of work. And I've heard of this situation where people immerse themselves in work because they don't want to think about right their bad marriage or their problems they have outside of work uh, or whatever they might be. And so they, they escape into work to forget or remove that part of themselves. So I I can't relate to that. For me, outside life was so much more interesting than inside life. And so I, you know, couldn't wait to get back home and watch Twin Peaks or read a book or go out with friends or whatever. And, and those are the things I thought about while I was at work. Well, there's a lesson in, in nature here. You know, when the cell needs to specialize in a certain way, it divides itself. And that new cell becomes a specialized version and the, and the original cell does the same thing. So this ability to vivisect ourselves and dedicate a portion of our psyche to labor for a corporation and the other portion of our psyche for whatever you know personal purposes we have from a company's perspective that's the best of all worlds because i've got you without this influence from your outside life you're not talking about your wife you're not talking about any of that stuff you're trying to figure out what those numbers on the screen mean how do they make you well again i think john's bringing up a really interesting point is it voluntary right and now of course yes it is in the fact that mark chose to do this but the more interesting point is do any of us have a choice we really don't we have to live we have to eat so you go there and that's that's what's interesting about the show is do the poor actually even have a choice you have to give over whatever your corporation wants or they're going to take your house and you won't eat and you won't live and so it's voluntary in the way that it's voluntary that you check the I agree box on your Apple update. That's that's a great point. I, I will bring in one other element around the voluntary piece. In the language that the, the people who are protesting severance use, they use anti-abortion language. Yeah, they do. In, which in, is interesting. In the show, the idea of you chose to bring this life into the world and you've sentenced it to a life of slavery. You, you brought this identity into the world. You're responsible for it. You're a horrible person. That's the vernacular that's used against that. So I, I would say that that adds an element of credibility to this being a voluntary program. But it's also very interesting how that anti-abortion language is applied in the show. You know, I think you're touching on one of the most fascinating things about the show, uh, which is the fact that the inner and the outer self are not equals. The outer self has more power than the inner self. So mm-hmm. is the, the inner self being the one, the person at work who's been severed cannot say, I don't want this anymore. They cannot say, I refuse uh, to, to, to 
do this, I, I want to be unsevered or, you know, and, and, and that is, we should say, <clears throat> some people who, who, are, who are outside can choose that they no longer want to do that. They can say, I, I want to stop. I'm not going to go through this anymore. Mm-hmm. But the, the inside people have no choice and they really are second class. They really are almost slaves. We could use that terminology or serfs or indentured servants or whatever, but they truly are victims of their outer self. And I think that's a fascinating part of the show. Let's talk about the character of Heli, who's one of the most fascinating characters. Mm. We don't know a lot about Mark's three other co-workers. We know a little bit about them, but not too much. We only really see them through inside Mark's perspective. So at work. Heli is one of those characters who has been severed and she comes into work and the severed version of Heli does not want to be there. And she tries over and over again to get out and to one point even willing to kill herself rather than be in this situation. And we find out later that Heli is actually an heir to the company. She's the daughter of the company's president or owner of the company. And she has chosen for perhaps political reasons to go into severance so she can prove to stockholders how great this situation is. And so uh, the inner Heli is extremely unhappy to the point where she's willing to kill herself, to literally end her life if it means ending her outer selves lives and the fascinating dynamic here between essentially two different selves i mean in in a way and i don't mean to get into twin peaks but we're talking about two halves we're talking about one half and another half and maybe not a good and an evil but a separate personality and this inner personality is subject to the whims of the outer personality and you start to sympathize with those inner selves perhaps more than the outer self. And in Heli's case, you're really rooting for the inner self because mm-hmm. the outer self is kind of probably a bad person. And that's fascinating. They haven't explored that much. And I look forward to what happens in season two with that. And Heli is my favorite. And the inner Heli, that was me. Like everything <laughs> she does, that was totally yeah. me. I was that employee. I was the troublemaker. I was always pushing management. You know, whatever rule they put down, I kicked it. I pulled it. I pushed it. And that is the thing about this show is the characters. You've got the employee that fights the power. You've got the employee that just works, which is the guy with the glasses. He just wants his koozies and his uh, waffle parties, and he's just working. you got the old guy who's turned it into a religion. You know, it's a religious experience. I'm doing something here. And then you've got the middle management. He has no power. Right. <laughs> he, he, has has, he has no authority. He also has to work, which was my problem at my corporation, is you'd get these management that was making maybe 25 cents more than me, had no power. So the only thing they really could control over me was to try to belittle me. That's all they could do. And that's where Mark sort of is at. He doesn't belittle them. Right. But he is getting pulled, especially with Heli in the beginning. Where she doesn't want his well, shit. And Mark is a recent promotion right. because his boss has gone crazy. He, I'm assuming that happened within the last the couple of days before the pilot. Right. One assumes, right? I mean, very recent before the pilot. Right. So that's in the pilot. Like all of that stuff is there. <laughs> that, like they just kind of dump that on you. And suddenly you're in a situation, and the only thing you can learn is about the characters going forward. Like that they explain the whole situation in the pilot. It's done. But then the mystery unfolds through these characters. And that's, that is very Lost-like. We talked about Lost, John, as a comparison mm-hmm. in, in how it approached unfolding the mystery through the characters themselves. Yeah, we've talked uh, for the last 15 or 20 minutes here about the themes and the idea of characters and, and what's happening to them on a very personal and interior level. But there's so much more to this show in terms of the larger story that may be taking place, of which we are getting only glimpses. We don't know everything like the inner workers at, at Lumen. We don't know everything that's going on. And so there are forces at play. And, and that's part of what makes the show so fascinating, like Lost, is that you get little glimpses of odd things that are happening in the company, or you get some news like the the previous worker, Petey, who was the supervisor, has made it outside and has some memory of 
what it was like to be inside and he contacts Mark outside. And there seems to be the implication that there's a larger group at work outside who are trying to help people, almost like an underground railroad from being enslaved in Lumen to being freed outside. But we get glimpses, we get hints at that. It plays out over the, the season, but we don't get the answers to all those questions. Again, like Lost, we build to a climax with a lot more questions than we have answers. The implication being that there's a much bigger story mm-hmm. at play. We haven't talked about Patricia Arquette, but she plays Mark's boss at work, and she's kind of a hard-nosed boss. She's not the nicest person. We also find out that she is Mark's neighbor outside of work, and she is not severed. She knows what's going on outside of work and what's going on inside of work, and the implication is she's spying on Mark and has another game at play where Mm -hmm. she's keeping an eye on him, wary of what may be going on with him, but also perhaps rooting for him potentially i i I don't know because it doesn't spell it out yet so that's an interesting thing this is pure speculation which is to me the funnest part of severance is right now we get to think and we get to dream and we don't know to you john what do you see in the patricia arquette character where does she lie why does she have that altar why does she freak out what would be your speculation on that character you're absolutely right scott we are at a place in this story where maybe it will never get any better than this because we have (laughs) questions without answers and our answers that we imagine may be better (laughs) than the ones that they will deliver uh, for us i certainly hope that they've thought it all through or thought it through a great ways. We've all been in this place before. We're we're watching a first season of a show and kind of turns out that maybe they don't know where they're going or they're making it up as they go. And then it, it becomes less satisfying, particularly if you watch it again. But with the Patricia Arquette character, I I guess I would would maybe just throw out the idea that she's been passed over or she has, she has a different philosophy than her higher ups do. And she is subverting perhaps some of what the company is doing for her own ends. And I don't know whether they're nefarious or good, but she certainly seems nefarious given the way her character behaves. But nevertheless, she does seem to want to reunite Mark with, and again, big spoiler here, his wife who is not dead and is inside Lumen. And she seems when she's watching them on a closed circuit hmm. monitor, she seems to almost be rooting for them to to make a connection. She's saying, come I on, come on. Just, and so why is that? I don't know. Because she has this altar outside of work. It seems like she is faithful to the concept of Lumen. And so is, is you know, not someone who's trying to subvert it is someone who wants to support it. And yet she's also doing these hard to explain behaviors inside of work. So given those few clues, I tend to think, oh, well, maybe she really believes in Lumen, but not the current path of Lumen and wants to control it herself or wants to see it used to different ends. I She's obviously at at odds with the board who Mm -hmm. tend to call in. And there were some other clues. Again, having only watched it once. Josh, what is your take on Patricia? The first hint that we get is in her name, which is Harmony. What is the opposite of severance? Harmony. Mm -hmm. So John and I, we've discussed this previously. We both had the same reaction to that scene that he's talking about. She's a therapist who makes the people feel better. About so he, he obviously doesn't recognize her. There's this great scene where they're engaging in a room and Patricia Arquette is over, overseeing this thing. And I, like John, had the reaction like, she's actually reading for them to break the severance. And I, t- I asked my wife and she's like, no, not at all. She's against them. She definitely wants to keep them apart. She's just making sure that they're not getting back together. And so we had a totally different reading of that scene. It sounds like you probably had my wife's reaction to that scene where John and I were like, no, there's something else going on here where I think she's like subverting. And then when I went back and realized that her name was Harmony, oh, okay, well that does change things a bit. To support that argument, the Patricia Arquette character does go steal a candle from Mark's house, which was a candle that had important meaning to the relationship between Mark and his wife. And she tells his wife to use the candle as if she's trying to prompt the connection there. 
So I just want to pause and say to our listeners, this right here, this moment that you're experiencing, this is why severance is so good. This is why television that you have to think about and television that happens when you're not watching it is the greatest of all television watching boring straight down the middle tv i mean not that every show should be severance but our imagination so i totally disagree with you guys and i never even thought it before i don't think she's rooting for them she is wondering if this is working i think they chose mark they chose the wife and they want to know if he doesn't recognize her, she goes and gets that candle as a test. Not so she's like, ah, I hope they recognize each other. It's I hope they don't. I also have a theory that Patricia Arquette is related to Helly. I don't, I don't know age-wise if sisters would work, but I think that she has been excommunicated from the main guy who, by the way, I think looks like Matthew Reese. I think Patricia Arquette has been kicked out of that family or something. So I think that's who's going to be the head of Lumen. That's why she was so upset when she got fired, because now she lost everything. I think there's a family connection between her and the leader, which now means Helly. I've thought that a while, that Patricia Arquette has a lineage. So here's the first question. You, now you all, everyone can go back and rewatch the season. And we can come back and, and decide. And I just never thought she was rooting for them. I think she's like curious. Is this working? Yeah. So it's interesting. I love that yeah. you see different, different things. Like that's the greatest thing you can hope from television is for people to see what they see. Very interesting. One of the things I just want to throw out as that I love and when the costume designer did this like bless their heart and it's the guy's glasses oh. on the end of his nose <laughs> I, they, i've never seen that on tv before yeah whoever thought that that sets his character and the fact that he doesn't push them up he doesn't care that tells you who he is he isn't a troublemaker he doesn't even want to push his glasses up he's the one that's going for the koozies he's, he's a competitor yeah, he just wants to work. Yeah, that's and and nothing distracts him. Even his glasses. You just want to say, push those damn things <laughs> up, and it's wonderful. Good job. How about the upper management guy who's wheeling the waffle cart in? Ah, oh, I love him. Yeah, what a great actor. Yeah, yeah I think his character name is Milchik, and Trammell Tillman is the actor. I think Patricia Arquette is going to win an Emmy and she should, but if I could give an Emmy to anyone, it'd be to him. He did that damn, it was so creepy. We assume he's not separate, right? We assume, but do we have any reason to think he is or isn't? I'm not sure we do. Because he can come onto the severed floor. Does Patricia Arquette's character ever come onto the severed floor? Yeah, because... She was waiting for him when he came up the elevator after okay. the yes. thing. She's like, come to my office. Yeah. So okay. she does come to the severed floor. Yeah, I don't think he's severed. John, do you, do you have an opinion on that? No, I don't think he is. He appears to, the guy with the glasses is Dylan. He appears to Dylan outside of work. I think we believe that he knows Dylan outside of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have a relationship. Maybe, or just has a file on and knows everything about everybody. I don't know. Again, we're at a place here where- Lots of assumptions. We're making a lot of assumptions when we can make all kinds of guesses. I mean, your guess about Patricia Arquette, Scott, is is excellent. Of course, it could easily be that she, she was ostracized from the family and is working. I mean, everything you describe makes perfect sense from what we've seen. It's the altar that sort of made me feel like, why would you yeah, have that? Sure. Um, right. Because there is something mystical that this goes back to 1800s. So there is some mystical aspect. What if she's reintegrated? What if she was severed and has reintegrated successfully so that it doesn't work on her? So she goes outside of work and they think she's severed, mm. but she's not. I mean, I don't know. You don't know, right? I mean, it's just another idea to could throw out there. I think um, she did take a phone call. Yeah, she did. But I guess yeah. they could have turned her on. They can be turned on and off. So right. I guess that isn't proof. That's why I was asking about Wilchak. Have we seen him outside? But John is right. We did see him outside at Dylan's house. Right. So we actually had seen, because for a while I was like, maybe he is separate. I don't know. We haven't seen him outside, right. but we have. I want to throw out one of my favorite things about this season. 
is they established the scariest character on the show, the head of security, and then they killed him. <laughs> like that is great. And the show is still just as scary. Like all those elements that are frightening are still there, but they just show that this, yeah, it's not a person that you should be scared of. Right. It's the corporation. It's the corporation and, and what they don't care about what's inside you. Yeah, very interesting. And let's talk about John Turturro's character and Christopher Walken. We yeah. haven't mentioned that at all. Josh, what did you think of their relationship? Well, at first, I love that Christopher Walken's only job seems to be dressing the place up with specific art in specific places. And that is where he and John Turturro connect is through this art. And it's the, the initial conversations that they start to have unlock something inside them. So when we compare this to the scene earlier between, you know, the therapist and Mark, and are they going to, you know, look at this candle and have this connection? These two people actually did have a connection. And I would argue that it opened up something inside them that has almost allowed them to, to unsever. That was the, the impetus for, for John Turturro's character. Fear and love open the doors. There you go, John. Are we talking about Twin Peaks again? <laughs> I can't help it. It is interesting. So John Turturro is Irving, and he is attracted to Christopher Walken, who plays Bert. They share this interest in art because Bert is the caretaker of the various paintings that they hang up, which I don't know where they hang them up because we never see them anywhere, but apparently they do. And what's fascinating, this sort of gets to a slightly different topic, but it, the idea that maybe there's some bleed through from the outer personality to the inner personality, because Irving is interested in painting. He's interested in these paintings. And we find out later that he's painting yeah. when he is uh, at home. His outer self is painting an image from inside uh, Lumen. So there's this bleed over that's happening. There is some overlap between the inners and the outers and I'm getting off topic of the relationship between those characters, but it reminded me of that. No, yeah, and I think thing. there's something there and the candle also implies the possibility of that, that maybe there could be some triggering or something. That's a fascinating thing to explore because philosophically, then you come up with that idea that, well, if you really did erase your personality, would your personality re-present itself? Would, mm. you, would the you, you are <laughs> come back? That's the title of Rickon's book, The You, right. You Are. Um, <laughs> and even though it's a silly, stupid title, and that's where a lot of the comedy of this show comes in, it's sort of the core idea of the show is can you be separated into two different personalities or do you start to overlap? You start, is there then diagrams start to grow and, and the two circles come, come, come back together. I, that would be something that would be really interesting to explore. I don't know if the show has time or a tendency to go that direction, but we're seeing hints of that. And it's just a fascinating idea is that if you lost your memories completely, would you still restore yourself? So there's a negative thing that I wanted to talk about. And, and this is going to show my age. I absolutely hated with a fiery passion <laughs> that it, they had to put a freaking warning that says well, someone's going to kill themselves in this oh. episode. And oh. it happens at the end. And we made it really tricky. So you're going to be shocked when it happens. <laughs> no, you're not. You just told me. And then you end the episode that way, like, oh my goodness, yeah. you're kidding. I can't believe she tried to kill herself. <laughs> and it and, and just made me think, like, if I ever got to do a TV show, and I think we all know it'll never happen. On my show, I'd like to say, warning, if you need a warning, don't watch the show. <laughs> you are consuming art. Yeah. And I'm sick of that. If they made The Sixth Sense today, would they say, warning, he's dead? <laughs> I don't like this idea. It's art. It just annoys me. And you can say, warning grown-up topics yes. or whatever. But to say someone's going to kill themselves and have that be the end of the episode, it just frustrates me that that That's really right. burns me. I'm sure they Apple did that, not the writers of the show. Yeah, it's, it's But you. we're all grown-ups... And if you can't handle that kind of thing, that, that's my one complaint of the show. Either of you have a criticism of the show? Well, first of all, I agree with you, Scott. It was a trigger warning. Oh, there may be something in here that upsets you. And I understand that for some people who may have undergone some similar type of trauma and they're watching a television show, they don't want to relive that. It was well-meaning. But I also agree with you that, look, I mean, you just have to turn on the news and see how atrocious humanity can be to humanity and how terrible people can be. Yeah. And that's the world the world is. We can't just shelter ourselves. Well, from and, and before the woke police come and get me, 
I'm not against a trigger warning. I'm against a specific a spoiler trigger, trigger warning. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. They could have just said there's violence. Yes, adult, adult content. I mean, had they been doing it for 40 years? You I mean. just didn't have to say suicidal attempt. Yeah. But go ahead, John. My criticism is for something that doesn't exist yet. So it really isn't fair <laughs> at all. But the show upended itself at the end uh, of the season. And we can't go back to, to the way it was. We can't reestablish the show as it is. There's no way those characters can come back to work and work together in the office. And I think if they try to do that, <laughs> if they try to go, okay, let's kind of put things back to where they were before, I will be disappointed. It has mm-hmm. to move forward in the trajectory from where it is now. So it's not a criticism. It's a preemptive criticism. <laughs> if anyone out there is listening you know, who has anything to do with the show, do not try to go back or keep going forward keep yeah. moving this story into new territory because there's so much territory to explore i will not buy if suddenly Helly and mark and irving are back at work uh, sitting at their cubicles i just can't see that happening they would have yeah. to bend over backward to make that happen i agree with that i do have one criticism and it's all it's self-imposed the show that really jumped out to me in comparison to this one was lodge 49 And Lodge 49 had a wackiness to it and a comedy that was built into the narrative and woven throughout. But there are very similar themes and elements to this ancient conspiracy, this workplace drama where it it all unfolds and there's more that meets the eye, a, a bunch of really quirky characters. And so my only criticism early on was this show isn't funny enough. This show isn't wacky enough. I'm not getting enough comedy out of this. I made a comment to Scott earlier and I said, the show's not funny at all. And I think this is just my initial watch. Yeah, no, you're gonna you're gonna argue and Scott already kind of out arguing because he's like, no, the guy with the book, that's hilarious. That's a really good comedy. And that's the sister, good. I think the sister has a lot of really good lines. We haven't talked about the sister. These yeah. people outside the organization. Though. Going to what corporations want. They don't want you to be funny at right. work. They want you to sit there and work right. and not have a life and all these things. So it's not really a place. But I think Dylan kind of is funny. He is funny. <laughs> Yeah, John, what do you think about the humor part of it? Mark's brother-in-law in the outside world writes these self-help books. He's sort of a famous self-help guru. And the objectively, if you look at the book, it's just crap. You know, it's just silly <laughs> statements. It's not well written. It's a junk book. Although I think he, the author, Ricken is his name, truly believes in it. He he believes in what he's saying. So they take the character seriously. He's not trying to scam anyone. He believes this stuff, but he's sort of deluded himself to some extent. But anyway, that book finds its way into uh, the work. And so the characters are reading the book without any context at all, which I think is the fascinating element here. And without any context to it, the book becomes very profound to them. And there are sequences where you hear the book being narrated and you you hear some of it juxtaposed with their serious take on it. And I find that hilarious because, (laughs) because some of the lines from the book are just so absurd. They're absurd. And yet they make an impact uh, on the inner workers, particularly the inner Mark. The outer Mark kind of dismisses his brother-in-law as a joke. He's kind of a joke. But the inner Mark, who gets out for a brief time in the last episode, has nothing but uh, admiration for him. He's profoundly affected by him. The two different cells the way they integrate or the way they separate, what context means, and how all of us are television critics, we could look at something and think that it's just absolute junk, whereas someone else might look at it and go, you know what, I get a lot out of this. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, I guess. Yeah, it definitely is. And I'm usually that other guy, John. I'm the one who finds stuff and like, oh, no, this is incredible. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, I was reading your Twin Peaks essay in the latest Blue Rose Magazine, issue 16. Get your order in right now. And you had a statement in there that really jumped out to me that how do you navigate the world when you're essentially separated from your memories? And it just hit me right here. That's what we're talking about. These people have been separated completely from their memories in a much cleaner way than Twin Peaks The Return presents it. But it's the same essential conflict. And I was wondering, John, did, it, did that jump out to you, that connection? Obviously, you wrote the sentence, but did it, did it jump out to you? Well, now that you mentioned it, I can make a connection. It's interesting in a way. You've kind of you reminded me of what I guess will be a very minor criticism of the show is that you kind of have to take it on faith that these characters forget some things. 
but not other things. Mm-hmm. So these characters are not blank slates. They know how to speak. They know how to. They know how to recognize other people. They understand concepts. When Dylan finds out he has a son, he knows what a son is. So the idea of severance is how much are they removing? And and so you, that's the conceit. You let that go. You're like, okay, well, we just assume that the, they've perfected this technology that it removes the outer world, and yet. Again, it's a minor criticism, but somehow they're able to surgically remove certain things you know, and, I never and keep of other this things until just now. But the egg bar and the waffle party is, mm. you know, ridiculously strange. Yeah. And they find it to be absolutely normal as if you mm-hmm. were at work and someone brought donuts. Or you go to church and they say, here, drink this blood. <laughs> It seems absurd, doesn't it? So maybe it's just that when you get into that world, they accept the concepts. And a normal person would say, what do you mean we're having an egg bar? There's no such thing as an egg bar. So the Audi would know that, but the innie just accepts it because there's an egg bar. And they don't know any better. So I never considered like thinking of why don't they think it's strange, but it could just be they have no idea that this is strange because they don't have that experience. It's almost like severance does more than just remove memories. It also sort of resets you into sort of a childlike place where you do accept some things that are, you know, you children, you know, young children believe in Santa Claus. It doesn't seem crazy to them. It's only when you get older that reality you know, comes See, in. That like, is, okay, why does Helly not have that childlikeness? Is that why she's mm. fighting it so she's far? She's the one that screws it all up for everyone. Like, she's the one that brings this story. Well, she's from the family that's doing it so that is an interesting thing why is she not childlike that gets to the idea of what was your motivation for going in and so mark was motivated he wanted to forget and so deep deep down he's like this is great i'm here i'm going to do what i need to do and you get the sense that maybe the other characters have similar motivations whereas she went in Maybe even against her will, she volunteered to go in for the good of the company, mm-hmm. but she might have been pressured by her father, or she knows deep down this is a stupid idea, but I'm just doing this for profit. I'm not doing it for any other reason, but I'm going to make more money in the end. And so that motivation for going in sort of carries over a little bit. And so now she's she's not a happy person and not mm-hmm. an, an accepting person inside. What are you looking for? In season two, these are not expectations because we know when you go into art with expectations, you get burned. But just like from where we are, where do you kind of see it going? I would like to see all of this narrative wrapped up in season two so that season three could be something completely different like Fargo. Because this concept could be applied in multiple future things like the military or government. Imagine what a severance season would be like if you were to take it and apply it to these different industries and, and ways that we work with one another. I love these characters, but I don't think that they have like a six season you know, arc. I would like to see this wrapped up pretty quickly so that we can start to, as John said earlier, explore a bigger story of what's happening with this technology. Interesting. John, you have any wishes? Well- you know, I slightly disagree. I mean, just in terms of what I want to see from the show, I'd like to see these characters for, for a while. I think there's a chance for layers of these characters to be stripped away or added on, and we can see a larger story at play with them. There's a reason why Mark was is there. Obviously, there's a conspiracy going on because he thinks his wife died, but she did not die. So they manipulated something outside in order to get her in there. With him. So there's this much larger story. I don't want this show to go backward. I don't want mm-hmm. in se- episode three of season two to see Bert, Dylan, Helly, and, and Mark sitting at their computers going, what do the goats down the hall mean? Let's go find out. <laughs> I, I want something else to happen. Mark has motivation to go back in now because he knows his wife is in there. So obviously they're going to see these characters return to Lumen, but I almost want to see them infiltrate it now <laughs> instead of just go back. The show has sort of reestablished that, that base story premise. I want it to move into a new direction. My wish, I suppose it's kind of similar to John's. It's just a little more specific. I don't want 
the backstories. It's fine if they did a two-minute how Mark was severed at some point. That doesn't bother me. But if next season starts and we're back two years or something, I want to go forward. Because while that was kind of cool on Lost, it just didn't work for six years. Eventually, you just like, I'm sick of that shit. And I really like how I don't really care what Mark was before or what Helly was. Like, don't do time jumps to get around because we got to drag it out. As soon as you get into, we got to drag it out. Your show is no good. And there's so much and the characters are great. I, I would be interested in all of them. So you don't need to give me time warp razzle dazzle. Well, you know, your pet peeve about second seasons when they separate all the characters. John said he doesn't want them to be back at work together. Right. But do we all agree that they should be together? Yes. Do not separate them. Please don't. Right. Don't do an episode that just has an hour of Helly and then an hour of Dylan. That is a typical second season. People love to do that. Yeah. Don't do that. That's lazy. I think, you know, I think they're not going to do that necessarily, but I do think they're going to separate them. I think they all have motivations to go back in. Helly obviously has a motivation to go back in because her outer self wants to go back in. Mark has motivation to go back in as he wants to find his wife. Dylan doesn't really know what his outer self yet. So he's basically still in the same situation. Um, the only one is Irving. I'm not sure what his motivation to go back in, except that it seems like his outer self has all kinds of documentation on mm. trying to uncover the secrets of Lumen. It's very possible that the characters will end up going back in, but being reassigned and we will well, yeah, see them in different parts of the company and maybe trying to find each other again, which right. lost tactic throughout from season one <laughs> to season seven always was separate your characters. And most of the plot is them just trying to get back together again. So if you're listening at home and you're yelling at us because you're like, but their Audis don't know, but the management does know there's no way Patricia Arquette would let those four people get together. And so that's the thing. Like you can't, do that story. It's not just that they don't have motivation to go in. The corporation knows. Helly just screamed it yeah, to they, the entire they board. Let these people get back together. It's literally right. a liability to the company. My, my biggest fear is that the season two opens up and the characters go back to work and they're resevered and we're back to where we were. Yeah. They don't remember anything that we all know they went through, right. which would be a real cheap way of. Uh, I mean, this show's got to move forward. Right. I think we've got it. And I think that they will. I believe in Ben Stiller as yeah. a director wow. and I believe in the writing and the music and the set yeah. design and the costumers. These are all people working at the top of their game. Yep. And I have faith in the show. I think they'll take us somewhere good. I do too. And, and just from a thematic perspective, this idea of where does love come from? Where does joy come from? It's not, those aren't intellectual byproducts. These are things that unite us on the deepest, most fundamental levels of our humanity. And I think that that is truly the most interesting conversation happening in the show. And as long as they stick true to that North Star, I feel like this is going to be one of the great shows of the 2020s. Well, it really could be because corporations are given so much power and there's getting few of them and they're asking more of workers and they're firing people and making you do three or four jobs and still get paid for only one. All those things are there. So these are the buzz things of 2022, 2023. So let's hope it, it goes. Any final words on this show, John? I Only that. I can't think of anything else I'm looking more forward to than the season two of Severance. Can't yeah. wait. My imagination was lit on fire <laughs> for nine weeks this year. And that was incredible. First time since Twin Peaks returned for me, really. Yeah, you always wondered during the return. You wondered what, what was the hell am I watching? <laughs> Aren't you glad this was a weekly show and not oh, just yeah. jumped? I mean, Absolutely. like, gosh, can you imagine if the whole thing had been there? People would have burned through it in one weekend. Bring back the weekly shows. It's enough already with the binge. Because that experience of talking about it, that experience of thinking about it is so valuable. You remember the show better that way too yeah. than in yeah. having watched it all. In yeah, one there's, there's no so, doubt. yeah, and you can always binge it before season two comes That's on. Right. So you can have that experience, which, which I recommend. That there, there is a value 
in watching a show back to back to back to back after you've seen it the first time because right. it, you do see commonalities between things that you wouldn't have noticed before, but it's important to have that space. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us, John, and thank you, listeners. And I want to apologize to our listeners that we didn't cover this show and warn you about it early. I feel like we let our listeners down, and then I remember we don't have any listeners, so, and then I feel better. <laughs> well, but maybe with Severance, your listener audience will grow. Maybe. We don't know. Hear about Severance. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, we've been saying that for 12 years, John. Well, thank you, John. We really do appreciate sure. it. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. For more information on the Red Room podcasts, see Facebook and Twitter. Our website is www.redroompodcasts.com. Email feedback at redroompodcasts.com.